Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I'll be finishing chapter 2 today, sometime. (laughs) I was literally trying to figure out today how to, or not today, but this week, how to break this section, and I, I just couldn't come up with how to break this section, so we just get to maybe listen a little bit longer than we're used to listening as we look at this here. So, so let's pray, and then we'll go ahead and, and dig in. God, we just thank you for your word, Lord, and we just ask that you would open, Lord, our, our ears to hear your word today, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive your word today, Father, and that we would leave the building today with full obedience. Father, we just ask that you would come and accompany the preaching of your word, Lord, that you would show us within your word, Lord, what we are truly looking at. Father, help us to see it, help us to believe it, and help us to receive it today. Lord, I pray for other churches and the Reno area or your church, just universal, Lord, as your word is preached and proclaimed today. I pray you be with those ministers, Lord, and that you would strengthen them in the might of your spirit and that they would proclaim your word boldly, confidently, Lord, that you would be glorified, that Jesus would be lifted high, and that we would leave knowing that our reliance is upon your word and not upon man. Father, we just ask that you would do these things in your name. Amen. Today we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 22 of Ephesians 2, and we're going to see how Christ actually brings two into one which which is the church and and how he he deals with this but before we read the passage i want to first on august 12th and the 13th of 1961 the berlin wall was was started to be constructed the wall separated east germany from west germany i think i'm right am i right okay I'm going to, you know, if I get this wrong, our German expert will hopefully tell me. So so the the wall separated uh, East Germany and and West Germany, making a division among the people. Then on November 9th, 1989, the wall started to come down. And today there is no wall that divides East and West Germany. So in this passage today, Paul is going to show how there is no wall anymore uh, between Jew and Gentile. And we have to understand that in biblical times, that was a big divide between Jew and Gentile. And that's how the Jewish person looked at it, is that they were the honored people of God, and then there was the rest of the world, which essentially is... Uh, the Gentiles. So let's look at this passage, and we can see where, where Paul goes with this. Verses 11 through 22, the apostle writes, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, 
remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were, who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in the one spirit to the Father, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostle and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also, you having been built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is talking about this oneness in Christ, being united with Christ, which essentially we see as the church body. So first of all, we get this word, this therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? That's what we have to ask, right? So what Paul is talking about is when we go through chapter 2 and us being um, dead in our trespasses and sins, and then this great salvation he has, then he comes in light of that, therefore. He's going to tell us, therefore, because of this, here's where we're going to go. Remember. So there's nothing better for Gentile believers or any believer of, of, of anywhere to understand where they came from, right? It makes the sweetness of Jesus so much sweeter when we understand what we were saved from, what we were saved to, and what we're being built into. And so Paul tells them, remember. He's, he's acknowledging their minds. He he's, wants them to remember where they were. And, and this is what he's saying, he, that they were separated. They were, they were alienated, right? There was this social separation that they had, that the Gentiles had. In Ephesians 2.11, Therefore remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. They were uncircumcised. They were, they were socially separated. They were socially divided from the Jews, and that they had that distinction. One was uncircumcised and one was circumcised. So now the Jews would refer to the uncircumcision in terms of negativity and defamation and reproach. Gentiles were not, they were not looked upon very kindly by the Jews at all. And Paul here, he calls the Jews the circumcision. Now, the circumcision was a sign of, of what a Jew was, right? And so it was this, he says, by the hand. And so he's looking at the outwardness of the circumcision, right? Paul is not talking here about the circumcision of the heart. See, that's what God is after. God is after the circumcision of the heart. And so we have this social de uh, separation. Uh, Deuteronomy 10.16 says that this is the separation. Circumcision, therefore, for the foreskin of your heart. This is what God was after. The foreskin of your heart. 
and to no longer be stubborn. Jeremiah 4.4 says, Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. So the separation of Jews and Gentiles was a separation that was physical distinction. It was a physical distinction. Gentiles were also separated by a spiritual separation. A spiritual separation in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. This is what Paul is saying. This is where you were, you Gentiles. Remember this. The King James Version of this reads, that at that time ye were without Christ. I like that without Christ. My dad recommended that I read this chapter that J.C. Ryle writes in his book, Holiness. If you ever want to um, read a book that's going to tell you that you're not a believer, read J.C. Ryle's Holiness. It, I mean, it's an incredible book, but you'll read this book and go, oh man. This is crazy stuff. So in this book, he says, you are without Christ. And this is what he writes. He writes, you are without Christ if you have no head knowledge of him. Meaning those who do not know who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what Christ has taught. You are without Christ when you have no heart faith in him as Savior. And you are without Christ when the Holy Spirit's work cannot be seen in his or her life. What are the heart and the affection set upon? And in that chapter, this, this part really hit me because he said we can do all the things that we're doing, right? We can read our Bibles every day. We can pray every day. We can come to church. We can take communion. We could sing the songs. We can do all these things and yet the Holy Spirit not be active in our hearts. It's just a form of legalism. It's just a for, uh, form of check in the box. So he encourages, what are the affections set upon? This was what it was like the Gentiles, when Paul was saying, to be without hope. They were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. The commonwealth is just simply, it's a state of being a citizen. They weren't citizens of Israel. The Gentiles were separated from the blessings that Israel had as God's chosen people. God was their king. The Jews king. Uh, God blessed them. He protected them. He guided them. He, he showed them uh, the way in the wilderness with a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. The Gentiles were separate from that. Israel had his covenants, his laws, his priesthood, his promises, and his guidance. Listen to Isaiah 63, 7 through 9. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praise of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us. And the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who, who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. And in all their afflictions he was afflicted. And the angel of the presence saved them in his love. And in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. We see this constant care that God had for his chosen people. So the Gentiles, they were strangers to the covenants of the promise. The Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 when, when he talked about it. Uh, John MacArthur, this is what he writes in regards to the covenants. 
He says, within the covenants, God gave a renewed, God gave and renewed his promises to bless, prosper, multiply, save, and redeem Israel. Within them, he promised to give his people a land, a kingdom, and a king, and to those who believe in him, he promised eternal life and heaven. These were the covenants that the Gentiles were not uh, part of. The Gentile separation meant that they had no hope. They had no hope. The Jews had complete hope. They had this complete hope in God that, that, that God had all the, he had all the capabilities of doing what he was going to tell them. The Gentiles had no hope. The life they lived was a life just uh, like we see today with people that live a life without God. They live a life that they, they feel that when they die, it's the end of all existence. Their, their mottos were uh, characterized by um, get it while you can, grab it while you got it, spend it while you have it, get busy living or get busy dying. This was the Gentiles. They were, they were without hope. They were without God. They, they, they did not want God. Now, this doesn't mean they didn't have gods because as we look at the Greek culture, they had many gods. And even in Ephesus, they had the god, they, they worshiped the goddess Diana. This is what they did. So they had gods. They had many other gods. They just didn't have the one true God. Acts 17, 22 and 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopas, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you were very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now this unknown God was put in with all their other gods that they worshipped. This is what they did. The issue was not that they didn't have gods. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So they didn't have any hope. Their, their gods brought them absolutely no hope. But they rejected the one true God. They rejected the one true God. All we have to do is look at Romans 1, right? They suppressed the truth because God made it evident within them. Look at his creation. He's made it evident within all of us. And they did not honor him. Therefore, they had this dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's what Paul wanted them to remember. You were without God. You were without hope. You didn't have him. But now, look at verse 13 of Ephesians 2.13. Here's where it goes. This is the best part. This is the best part. He wants them to remember that, but now we get into this. But now in Christ Jesus. That's like verse 4 of Ephesians 2. But God. He says, but now in Christ Jesus. You who were far off, that's the Gentiles, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christ has brought us near. Christ has brought those who were far off, the Gentiles. He has brought us near. Now, now, now what, what, what also separated us, or not separated us, but even in that is we see sin right? Sin causes division. That's what sin does. Sin causes division. Even though Jesus has brought us near, we still have to deal with sin. Do, do we not? I was talking to a brother after Sunday school today, 
And he said that's one thing that the church, one of the marks of a healthy church is, is we, we overcome. I mean, man, that is brilliant. It's that we overcome, and this is true, because we're always battling sin. Sin is always, always there. That even though Christ has brought us near, sin is always there. Sin is, we, we have this hatred, and we have this strife, and discord, and conflicts, and war. And uh, just as sin is the cause of all our conflicts, we see that sin is a result of selfishness and self-centeredness. I see this in my own life, and I wrote this down. It's very difficult for me to want something without it infringing on someone else's wants. And it's difficult for, for me what, that I can't always have what I want it my own way without hindering someone else's way. So we're battling this sin, even though we've been brought near. And James tells us this is our source. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So when Jesus died on the cross, he took away the power that sin had to control such things. He has brought us near. He's brought us near by the blood of his cross. We no longer fight with these things, but he's brought us near. He's brought us near to him. 1 Corinthians 1.24, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's Christ who does this work. And so what we have now is that we have Christ brought peace with God and all believers. This is what Christ does. This is how we start to see what he's doing in this passage. Look at Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, one and broken down in his flesh a dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is himself our peace. He's our continual peace. Isaiah 9.6 says he is the prince of peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There was nothing that we could do to bring peace between the divisions that we had and God. The cross is the only instrument that brings that peace. The cross is what unites us. Listen to Romans 4.24. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the peacemaker. He is the one that brings peace. He is our peace. And so what's he do? He makes both groups into one. This is what he does. He makes both groups into one. He brings, essentially he brings the world into one. This is what he does. Ephesians 2.14 again. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. He's made us both one. In Christ there's no distinction. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's no distinction between white and black or Asian or Hispanic. There's no racial uh, distinctions. There's no distinctions in Christ. God tells us that there is, as God's word tells us, that there's no partiality with God. Yet we have it, don't we? This is the sin. 
We have the partiality that God doesn't have. We bring up our own divisions. But this is saying that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor any. There's no divisions. And yet we bring up our own divisions by how we, how we see things or by color or by nationality. But that's not what he's doing. He, he brings us both and he makes one. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11 Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We are united with Christ, brothers and sisters, and there is no distinctions. The same grace that saves you is the same grace that saves me. The same gift of faith that God gave you to believe is the same gift of faith he gives me to believe. There is no distinction. We're all one in Christ. Jesus broke down the dividing wall. That's what verse 14 says. Look what it says. Uh, He has both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, the dividing wall, we, we have to understand this dividing wall, is within the Jewish temple, there was this wall. There was this wall, and it divided the, the place of worship for, for the Jews, and this dividing wall, of it was called the courts of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles can go, but they could not pass the wall. They could not go through that wall. This was actually the place where, where most uh, theologians believe is where they were selling everything. But that was this wall. They couldn't go past that wall. The Gentiles couldn't. They weren't welcomed into that. And this is what Jesus breaks down. He breaks down that dividing wall. This is what he does. That wall's no more. So Gentiles and Jews alike can come in because we're all one, one in Christ. We all get to come and we all get to worship God. This is the beauty of the church. The church is made up of every tribe, every nation, every tongue. This is the beauty of the church. The dividing wall has come down. So I ask you today, brothers and sisters, what are the walls that you've put up? What are the walls you have? We have them. We have them in the church. I'm Calvin. I'm Armenian. We have those things. Paul dealt with it in 1 Corinthians, right? Well, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of Jesus. We have the same stinking thing. I'm of Calvin. I'm of Arminius, right? I'm Southern Baptist. I'm Northern Baptist. I'm Eastern Baptist. I'm American Baptist. We have these dividing walls. But brothers and sisters... We're all one in Christ, and the blood of Christ has saved us all. We should not have these walls. We should be able to fellowship with a believer regardless, regardless of what they are, as long as their theology is solid on who Christ is and what Christ has done for them. We should be able to fellowship with them. We put up these walls. Jesus broke down the wall. He abolished the law of commandments. 
And this was the thing that, the, that, 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 was, that was held on so much was these, these sacrificial laws and these ceremonial laws. And Jesus comes and he breaks all those laws down. The, the, the obeying of the Sabbath and, and the, 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 the food diet, dietary food things. And he comes and he breaks, breaks all that down. He takes all that away. Listen to Colossians 2.16. He says, therefore, let... No one passed judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There you, these are, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ was ultimately the fulfillment of all of the law. He was the sacrificial law. He was the ceremonial law. He is the absolute perfection of God's moral law. He was the shadow of it, and he comes and he abolishes all of it. And we even do the same thing today. We have these laws that we have, right? We have to wear certain clothes. We have to wear a tie. We have to wear a suit, right? We, 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 we do those things. You know, we, we see it in other religions. You know, I really feel bad for, for, for people that are Jewish and people that are Muslim. They don't eat bacon. Man, bacon's good. Right? Bacon's good. But, but, but we have these things, and Jesus comes, and, and even in the Gospels, Jesus declares all food to be good. All things to be good. He abolishes all those things. So you know what that means? There's no hindrances. We are all one in Christ. The beauty of the church, and Christ is the head of the church. The beauty of the church. Jesus creates the two into one new man by himself. Look at verse 15. He says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create, this is it, he might, Jesus might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Himself, meaning that this this is Jesus. He does this. Jesus is the one that's creating the church. Jesus is the one that's building the church. Jesus is the one that unites us all together. And this new, this new, this word is, is absolutely beautiful. It, re- it refers to new in kind and quality. Newness like never seen before. Right? In chapter 3, we'll, we'll get to this point in chapter 3, where he talks about the mystery. The mystery of the church was what? That the Gentiles were included in the whole plan. This is the beauty. This word new means like that the church, it's something that was never seen before. Wow, people of every tribe and every nation and every tongue coming together to worship one. That's what we see in Revelation, right? We do not have our separate corners in Revelation. We don't have the Southern Baptists over here and the Lutherans over here. We don't have that. We don't have Calvinists over here and Armenians over here. And then if you're super spiritual, you don't have the hyper people up front. No, Revelation tells us that we're all gathered around what? What are we all gathered around? The throne. And guess who's not on the throne, brothers and sisters? You and I. We're not on the throne, but oh, do we ever want to be on that throne, don't we? But we're not. We're not on the throne. It's the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. He's the one on the throne. He's the one we're all singing praises to. This is Jesus. He makes this new man. This new man, it's 
brand new like nothing you have ever seen before. And Jesus creates that. Romans 10, 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you read? Did you hear that? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the church. And within this church, God is reconciled. The church is reconciled to God through, through Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This reconciliation is to restore to favor. This is what Jesus does on the cross. He reconciles us to God. Have you ever thought about this? This is an amazing thing, is it, is it not? Is it the, the work that God actually does, right? God does the reconciling work. Right? He was the one, and, and it's really funny because we're the one that offended him, right? We, we're, we're the ones that offended God, and yet God is the one that forgives me, right? I'm, I'm the one that offended God, but yet God, God rec- does the reconciling work. I should be the one that's moved to the reconciling work. But no, God doesn't do that because you know what? God knows I won't. He knows I won't. So God reconciles us through the cross. And how does he do this? By Jesus becoming a curse. Galatians 3, 10 and through 13. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteousness shall live by faith. But the law is not the faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He has redeemed us. He reconciles us to God. God is the one who does the reconciling work. Like I said, Romans 5, 8 through 10. Listen to this carefully. But God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Boy, we love that verse, don't we? We love that word. God demonstrates his love. He puts his love on display that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Since therefore we have now been justified as blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, enemies, did you ever consider that one? Before the Lord saved you? Did you ever consider that you were an enemy of God? Well, I'm a good person. I do good things. I do good deeds. I don't need to be reconciled to God. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is clear. You were an enemy of God. Very clear. We were enemies to God. We were shaking our fist at God. And he demonstrates his love for us while we were shaking our fists at him he reconciles us to himself while we were shaking our fists at him for if we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life wow what an awesome awesome god we have 
awesome God we have. The cross is God's answer to every hatred, strife, conflict, separation, alienation that we have. We're united with Christ as one body, his body. We're reconciled not only to God, but we are reconciled to each other. And me and Jenny were just talking about this, and this is hard, being reconciled to each other. It it really is. It's, It's a difficult thing, but it's true. If God has reconciled us to him, he has reconciled us to each other. That's not in my notes, so we're not going to go for there. So we've been, the, the dividing wall's been brought down, right? We're one new man in Christ. We've been reconciled to God by the, by the, by the cross of Christ. As Gentiles, we've been, who are far off, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ, even though we still deal with our sin. But now here's the cool thing. Through Jesus, all his children, the church, we have access to God. We have access to God. Ephesians 2.18. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In the Old Testament, the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies once a year. And he had to do that with blood. And he's the only one that had access to that Holy of Holies. If you and I If we went into that holy holies, we'd be struck dead. But through Jesus, now through Jesus, we have this access to God. We have absolute access to the throne room. As Martin was talking about, when you guys gather to pray, when we we gather to pray, and even in your own prayer times, your words pierce the very heavens. Your words go right to the throne room of God. And if we don't know what to pray, Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit interprets it for us. Because I know there's times when I've prayed and I've been just down and out. And I just sit there and, and, and I get my knees and I say, oh, Lord. And I just go, ugh. He knows what that means. He understands that. We have this access. The church, brothers and sisters, we have access to the throne room because we're united with Christ. So this means we come as children. Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We come with boldness, Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We enter boldly and we come to him with confidence, finding mercy and grace in time of need, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That time of need can can be translated in the nick of time. We enter as children. We enter boldly and we enter with confidence. And finally, Paul tells us that this unity, us, this church, it's a unity in citizenship. It's a unity in citizenship. Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are fellow citizens. We have the the very love that, that God loves Jesus with, he loves us with. The infinite love that he has for Christ, he has for us. We are his citizens. We are citizens. Philippians 3.21. Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power who enables him even to subject all things to himself? That's the wrong verse. Ephesians 3.22, Philippians 3.22 says, we are citizens of heaven. That's the one I wanted. 
So we are citizens of heaven from which we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our bodies. But we are these citizens of heaven because of this unity with Christ. This unity is, is uh, God's household, right? Verse 19 again, that we are members of the household of God. We've been brought into God's house. We are his children. We receive all the benefits that he has for us. We have all the blessings that he has for us. This is the church. The church has all these blessings. Galatians 6.10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good. Do good to everyone. And especially to those who are the household of faith. Bible. Church. Right? Brothers and sisters, we should be doing good for each other. We should be doing good for each other. We, we should know. We should know our burdens, each other's burdens. We are the same household. Jenny knows when I'm a disaster, which is every day. But, but she knows because we're in our household, right? Think about your household. You, 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 you know the, 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 the struggles your, 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 your kids have. You know these things. You know the struggles you have in your marriage, the struggle you have with in-laws, the struggle you have with outlaws. You know all those things that you have. You have these struggles. Brothers and sisters, we are the household of God. We are more family than my family. Because we are united by the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ unites us way better than any cordano blood that's flowing. We should know these things about each other, brothers and sisters. We should do good, especially those who are the household of faith. We should pray for each other for our growth in Christ, for our love for Jesus, for us to show that unity to have the character of God, to pursue holiness. We should be praying these things for us, but not only for us, but it says for the household of faith. That does not singularly put us, but it's for everybody. It's for the believers at Grace Church down the way we should be praying. It's for the believers at Community Bible Church, where I came from, that we should be praying. We should be praying for all of us, the household of faith. Third, We are united in God as a holy temple. We are the temple of God, right? So in the Old Testament, God dwelled where? In the temple. But his presence was in the holy of holies. Now, where does he dwell? He dwells in each individual believer, but he also dwells within the church. The church is his holy temple, and the church is his people. It's a gathering of his people. Ephesians 2.20, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Right? So we have this foundation. Think about our foundation. The foundation is the apostles and the prophets. This is our foundation. Not that the apostles are our foundation, but it was what the apostles taught. Jesus is the foundation. But it was what they taught. It was what the apostles laid the foundation, who was Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. 
for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the apostles came, and they laid the foundation of Jesus Christ. The apostles are not the foundation. the cornerstone he is the one in the church jesus is the one in the church who is the cornerstone he supports the church the church is oriented around him and he unites the entire body around him because he is the cornerstone isaiah 28 16 says this therefore thus says the lord god behold i am the one who is laid as a foundation in zion a stone a tested stone a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Acts 4, 11 and 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which, by which we must be saved. He is the cornerstone of this temple. Every believer is joined to Jesus. Everybody that comes to Jesus, that Jesus saves, is precisely put where they're supposed to be in this temple that the cornerstone of Jesus supports. This is what's being built up. This is what we're being built together, right? Jesus is building his church, and he is the cornerstone. And he will continue to build his church until every last person that believes in him does so. He will completely do that. As believers, oh, look at 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is what this holy temple, God is patient. He wants all to come to repentance. He wishes for none to perish. So, you're sitting here today, and you're an unbeliever. You're sitting here today as an unbeliever. I want to encourage you to repent today. Because you are without God. You are without Christ. And you are headed to hell. I want to encourage you to repent of your sin today. Turn to God. Look at the reconciling work of Christ. Receive Jesus as your king. Trust him as your Lord and Savior. Trust his work on the cross for you. Ask him to save you. Call upon his name, and he will save you. But as believers in Christ, may we today rejoice in the work that Jesus has done and is doing within his church. May we be those who love the body, love the church, May we be those who see that we've been united in Christ. And in this uniting in Christ, 
We have faith in the Holy Spirit. And may we do good to the household of God. Let us say no such thing as that. And may we have no division. And may we love with a love that God loves us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your time. Just ask your blessing upon us. Lord, let your word sink deep into our hearts, Father. May these last things in your name. Amen. 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 Please stand.